morning. Our scripture reading for this morning is found in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom... We have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. We were created to experience 
the fullness of relationship with God. We were created to know complete, full peace, joy, love, hope. We, we were created to, um, to not have to experience guilt and remorse and shame. We were created to know what life really means. That, that was why God put us on this earth. And, and that was the relationship that Adam and Eve, our first parents, had with God. But we rejected what God offered us. Sin entered the world and we made it clear to God that we really didn't want what he was offering. We wanted to go our own way. We believed that we could find peace, hope, joy, love, life. We could find all of that on our own more effectively than we could from God. And so we went our own way. We rejected God. We became enemies of God. And, it, and that didn't happen because of something outside of our control. It happened because we made the choice. We decided we wanted to run our own lives and that we were better at it than God was. What we didn't realize is that when we rejected what God created us to experience, we cut ourselves off from the source of what deep inside all of us live to experience. That peace, love, joy, hope, life. And, and we live in a world that is continually reaping the consequences of that decision and those decisions. Now, we would expect that having rejected God, the most natural thing for God to do would be to reject us. I mean, that's what we do with people, right? I mean, if people, if we make an offer to someone, a friendship of of some kind of kindness, and they reject us, make it clear that they want nothing to do with us or our offers, and and in essence say, you really are my enemy, then in order for self-protection, we reject them. We push them away. And in those instances, when when someone uh, doesn't want to listen to the advice we want to give them, doesn't, doesn't want to pay attention to the concerns we have, doesn't, doesn't care about what we're telling them, warning them, whatever the case may be, our, our natural response is to say, then you're going to have to figure it out for yourself. And on our worst days, we say to them, look, when this all falls to pieces, don't come running to me. I told you, I tried to warn you, you're on your own. On our best days, we say, when this all falls to pieces, I'll be, I'll be here. I'll be waiting for you. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just sitting here waiting for you to come to your senses. And when you do, when you get to the point where you realize that you need help, I'll be here for you. That's what we do, even on our very best days. And we expect God to do the same thing. But the reality of the gospel is God neither rejects us nor waits for us. But despite the fact that we reject him, despite the fact that we turn our backs on all that he offers us, God doesn't wait for us. He comes to us. God doesn't sit back and say, okay, people, when you figured this thing out, you let me know. God comes and goes to the cross. He initiates all of the the action. And in, in a sense, God really doesn't care whether we walk toward him or not. It has no bearing on him coming to us. He just comes to us. And what Paul tells us here in Romans 5 is that Christ comes and goes to the cross not because we have finally come to our senses. He doesn't come to the cross because we have finally figured things out. He doesn't come to the cross because we have now gotten ourselves in a place where we 
are good enough. He comes because we can't do any of that. And, and we discover, as Paul says here, that the cross is not for people who are good. The cross is for people who are bad. Over and over again in this, in this passage, he keeps saying, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, Christ came for us. While we had rejected God, he was there. And he came and he went to the cross. Not because we initiated anything, but because he did. And what, what's difficult, I think, for us sometimes, particularly if we've been in the church all of our lives, sometimes it's hard for us to realize that the bad people Jesus comes for are you and me. That's us. It's while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's while we were enemies of God, Christ came for us. It's while we rejected God that Christ went to the cross. And it is imperative for us to embrace the gospel. If we're ever going to embrace the gospel, that is foundational to it. To recognize that we are the people Paul's describing here. Brennan Manning says, you know, when you think about it, God really has no taste. You know, sometimes talk about people, you know, people having at least enough taste to, to see, you know, hang out with good people, hang out with worthy people, hang out with people that can give something back to them, make their reputation look better. God doesn't care about any of that. He just comes for us. And the most natural response to what God has done for us in Christ is faith, trust. Again, throughout this passage and before it and after it, Paul keeps talking about by faith, by faith, by faith. It is the most natural response in the world because it means we really are beginning to understand that we are the sinners that Paul's talking about. That we need what God is offering. That we need the cross. We need grace. And it's for us. All of us. And as I've been pondering that, it seems to me that the clearest evidence of, of faith and trust is gratitude. Stop and think about that for a moment. If you really believe that, that God has come to us in Christ, not because we've done anything, not because we're good, but exactly the opposite, and, and we truly believe that's true, the most natural thing for us to do is to be grateful. And, and I look back at my own life, and the times where I struggle with ingratitude... It's because I'm not really believing that God is doing what he says he's doing. Maybe there's hardship in my life. There's difficulties, there's struggles. Paul talks about that here in the first part of chapter 5. Where he's talking about the, the struggles that we go through. And he says eventually, if we will let God, it gets us to a place of hope. It actually brings us to a place of gratitude. And you get to verse 11, he talks about we rejoice in what God has done for us. And really, rejoicing is simply expressing our gratitude. Karl Barth said that you can probably trace every sin back to ingratitude. I think that's true. Gratitude is the clearest expression that we truly believe. That it's really changing us. That, that it's really something that we are embracing with every part of our being. Craig Barnes, who's now the president of Princeton Seminary, said when he was a pastor, he would often tell the congregation that what sets us apart as Christians from people who are not Christians, it, it's not happiness. Because even though we don't like to admit it sometimes, there are a lot of people who are not Christians that are happy. And, and it's not success because, quite frankly, you don't have to read the Gospels very long to see that really nowhere does Jesus equate discipleship with worldly success. And, and it's not even mission because there are a lot of people in the world who are not Christians and they are doing great things for other people. What sets us apart is that we live our lives as an expression 
of gratitude. That every moment of our lives is an expression of giving thanks to God for the grace that he has given us through Christ on the cross. It's what Adam and Eve lost in the garden. Adam and Eve lost that sense of gratitude and it led them to into sin. And because they lost that sense of gratitude, giving thanks to God that, that all that he'd done for them, they came to the place where they didn't really believe that God was who he said he was and God wasn't going to do what he said he was going to do. And the problem then came when in the evening when God came to walk with them as he always did, instead of like a child running down the sidewalk when mommy and daddy come home from a long day, they ran into the woods and hid. And, and when God said to them, I will supply all of your needs and I'll take care of you, now they didn't really believe that. And so they had to hoard and grasp and clutch because they weren't really sure that God was going to follow through. And so they spend the rest of their lives trying to prove to God that they deserve whatever God is offering. And we do too. The sad thing is that they didn't deserve it in the first place. They weren't there in the garden because God said, you know what, I've created these people. Those, they're awesome. I'm going I'm to extend my grace to them. It was his grace that created them in the first place. It was his grace that blessed them in the first place. They didn't do anything for that. And they lost sight of that. And their ingratitude led to a lack of faith and trust. And it led them down that pathway of destruction. And you and I are tempted to the same things over and over and over again. Because we have forgotten that grace isn't just something God does. It's really who God is. I think sometimes we get wrapped up in the fact that we think, well, God does gracious things. Well, God is only, full of, only does things that are full of grace because he is full of grace. It's who he is. It is his being, its character. The cross then becomes something that is simply the natural outworking of who God is. It's not, it's not something God is forced to do or that God debates about doing. It's just who God is. God always acts in grace because he cannot act any other way. And that's why it doesn't matter whether we are good or bad. God still offers grace. And the offer of grace is to turn us from good from bad to good. But the, our goodness or our level of evil or sin doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect God's grace. He is just full of grace. And the call on us is to believe that and to be gracious, to be grateful. It's really why we come together in worship every week. We come together in worship to remind each other that God is good and that we have every reason in the world to be grateful. On our own, we know how often we forget that. I mean, there are every, every day probably... There are things that happen that tempt us to ingratitude. And in that ingratitude, we doubt God. And we wonder about God. And that's why we need to come together every week to remind each other God is good. God is gracious. God is full of grace. It's who God is. And we can bank on it every single moment. Period. And out of that grace, we begin to live differently. We begin to live with a different spirit and a different mind and a different heart. But it comes back to, it is rooted in the grace of God that is exemplified. It comes to its culmination on the cross for you and for me. This is because grace and worship are so interconnected. This is why we've changed the worship order today. You may have wondered about starting the sermon so early that I was just going to preach for about 45 minutes today. But no, I know I saw a lot of panic looks on your faces. 
Now, actually, as I was thinking about this over the last few weeks, it struck me that, you know, we, we, we need some time after hearing about grace and thinking a little bit about grace and, and, and how gratitude is the, is the clearest evidence that we really believe that God is who he says he is. We need some time to respond to that. And we need some time to express our gratitude. We need some time to, to acknowledge God's grace. And, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. And in the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to, we're going to express our gratitude for God's grace through uh, prayer. And today's prayer is going to really be just an act of thanksgiving. And, and we're going to do that through... Um, the giving of what we have, giving back to God out of grateful hearts. We're going to do that with a, a brief litany that just sort of reminds us that God is good. And we're going to do that through music. Because I think music is a powerful way of expressing what's in our hearts. And one of the songs that's been going around and around in my mind as I've been pondering this over the last few weeks is the 18th century hymn, Rock of Ages. You know, this is a song that, that the, the author says that, you know, not the labor of my hands could fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? None of that's going to atone. It's just the grace of God, now and forever. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin. The double cure, cleanse me from its guilt and power. Not the labors of my hands could fulfill thy lost demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless I look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, I die, while I draw this fleeting breath, when my
let me hide myself in spend a few moments um, expressing our gratitude to God in prayer. And as we do that, if you'd like to come to the altar and offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, in this moment of silence, we want to express our gratitude to you as a sign that we believe that you are good and loving and full of grace. 
Father, we thank you that Jesus is indeed a wonderful, merciful Savior. That we are here. If there's anything good in our lives because of you. We've come today to thank you. We thank you for your grace in setting us free from our sin and for cleansing us from the burden of our sin. We thank you for grace in the struggles and the difficulties of life. We thank you for your comforting grace upon all who grieve. We we thank you for your grace, especially today, upon Sherry Reynolds' family at the death of her mother yesterday. We thank you that you are with them. We thank you that you are comforting them. We thank you for your grace upon them. Father, we thank you for supplying healing grace for all who are ill and in pain. We thank you for your grace upon Tammy Dunmire's father who has uh, been in the intensive care unit with pneumonia. We thank you for your healing upon him and upon Rich Reynolds and Calvin and Laurel Buecher and Warren Woolsey and Bill Getty and your grace of healing upon Phil Muker and Mike Raybuck and Jill Tyson and Bruce Brenneman and Bev Rett and Micah Christensen and Linda Roth and Dick Gould and Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar and others who are on our hearts and our minds today, thank you for your healing grace at work in each of them. We thank you for being present in grace in the ministries of this church and other churches. We thank you for all the ways that you are at work in the Valley Preschool and for the little young lives that are being touched through this ministry. We thank you for your grace at work in the Oromo Church and Pastor Charlie Little. We thank you for the the witness that this church has and we thank you for your ongoing blessings upon them. Father, we thank you for your grace in the situations of our world. Thank you for your presence and your your help in the, the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. With all of the refugees in Syria and so many other places of the world. We thank you for your compassionate grace upon Romy and Linda Carringale, the people, the ministries they work with. We thank you for your sustaining grace upon our brothers and sisters who face more opposition and persecution than we can imagine. Thank you particularly for being with the Christians who have recently been displaced and continue to face attacks in Davao, Mindanao, in the Philippines. We thank you for your mercies and grace upon them. Father, we pray today that you will continue to open our eyes to your daily grace to us. Make us more and more grateful. In fact, Father, give us grace to be seen as the most grateful people in all the world. Not because we are good, but because you are. We ask this through Christ, who in grace goes to the cross for our sins and the sins of all people and teaches us the model of prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'd like to invite the ushers forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Sing, for you alone have rescued this life. 
going to join together now in a litany of praise, and you'll find the words on the screen. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. He reached into our lowly state and sent his son, Jesus, fully God and fully human. His love endures forever. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the light of the world. He was fierce for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His love endures forever. God calls us to hope, offering his incomparably great power to each of us who believe. His love endures forever. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Give thanks to the God of heaven who loves us with an everlasting love and whose mercies are new every morning. The whole world was lost in the darkness of the light of the world is Jesus, like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone. The light of the world is Jesus, 
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.